You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined today by Jason Ledoux of Access IT Group. Welcome, Jason. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's been uh, 10 years of in the trenches uh, for me and you together. And so you and I got to talking the other day uh, on LinkedIn and I had brought up or on the phone brought up talking about uh, CIS top 20. And I thought, man, that'd be a great topic for us to discuss uh, as a podcast. And so the things that I think a lot of uh, MSPs, a lot of the industry right now, they like to continue to talk about how you need to do Nest 171. It's the big dog. You're gonna have to do CMMC. Uh, You gotta do HIPAA depending on the industries you're in. And and there's more and more regulatory that's out there. And I believe, and, and I think it's part of why I wanted to have this conversation with you is MSPs have to start somewhere. And I believe that CIS Top 20 is a great place to start. And I would like to get your insights on your experience, because I know you've been doing this 20 plus years. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so Chris, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, right? I, you know, I started out many, many, many years ago doing uh, HIPAA and PCI work. Um, so I, I you know, long background in, in check boxes and you know, trying to build control sets and, and uh, you know, getting people compliant per se. But over time, being compliant didn't help anybody with ransomware. Right. Let's jump right to the chase. <laughs> right. um, you know, so a lot of companies have have started to you know, it's it's gotten through uh, through through the, the bureaucracy and the red tape of, of compliance, and companies are trying to figure out well, how do we be secure? How what's out there, right? They they don't want to listen to the Jason LaDuke way. They don't want to just hear what Chris Johnson has to say. They, they want to know like what's out there, right? And there's some really good resources. The CIS 20 is probably the top of the list uh, of ones that I, I point our clients to. Uh, subsequently, it happens to be intertwined in uh, NIST 171, CMMC, sure. and, and other areas too. So it's definitely the, the, the go-to source uh, for, uh, for helping companies adopt a security structure to their organization. Well, I think the, the problem isn't so much what framework, and even if you picked any of the frameworks as a starting point, the, there's so many challenges within them as they all have their sure. own unique discrepan- or discrepancies or deficiencies. But I think one of the challenges is, and I think this isn't unique to the MSP space, it's, it was uh, done well by the Staples commercial or Office Depot where it's you know the easy button. And no matter what conversations we have, if the Jason way or the Chris way were to involve it being the easiest way, and we could prove that that was the case, I think there would they would all adopt it, right? So I think the question comes back to policies and procedures are so, uh, and I'm quoting somebody else now, they're boring. 
uh, they were put together to uh, give some sort of legalese or structure to what it is that you're supposed to do at a high level. And the problem is right. in, the, in the MSP space, we've all been focused on the, the doing part. We spent the last 20, 30 years doing things that until recently weren't documented on anything more than the spiral bound notebook. So which leads to the next question. We've got all these tools at our disposal, the IT glues of the world, the Paps Portal MSP and some of these, you know, cloud-based platforms, even Google Docs, right? It's a shared collaborative platform. You could, you could store documentation there. We're good at writing down, this is how I put the endpoint protection on the, on the workstation and other things to help make that uh, device secure. So how do you walk somebody through incorporating that into the policy that they need to understand, let alone adopt? You know, I, I think, and, and, and we work with a lot of clients in this situation where over the years the, the, the mentality was, I'm going to be compliant, right? Or I have to be compliant and I'm going to do it through buying products and services. Sure. To be honest with you, I mean, one time or another, we probably all worked for or worked closely with different VARs out there. Uh, we've heard of those vendors before. They're, you've got checkpoints and Palo Altos and Junipers. And, you know, there, there was always this mentality that these, you know, hardened egg shells, but soft and gooey on the inside uh, were the way that, that th these products ultimately made them. And then we kind of matured those products into endpoint protection. But the point is, is that when, when, Clients are still getting hit with ransomware. Clients are still being hacked. Uh, clients that we work with on a daily basis don't really have a structure, although they've invested millions of dollars into products. Um, what, what we do is we kind of take a step back, to be honest with you. Um, we, we start a holistic approach with them. Uh, we, we like to call it the crawl, walk, run type scenario. Uh, and we sit down with them and we say, hey, listen, you know, per the documentation, you know, and what we should be doing, we're going to focus on the first uh, three to four of the basic controls. In, in the CIS 20, there's, there's six basic controls. But before we, we go too far into it, let's get an idea of your systems and your applications that are out there. Yeah. And there's some, there's some very, uh, very good techniques, very good tools. Many of them are free uh, out there that will help us and, and, and I'm kind of pointing towards your easy button scenario that you were talking about, honestly, yeah. Chris. You know, this stuff doesn't have to be so complex that we can't do it. Um, so my team will come in and, and they'll kind of say, well, let's build a cornerstone. Let's identify all the systems and all the applications that are out there. There's some easy ways that we can do that. And companies in general, I would tell you, are astounded by the amount of systems that are out there that they didn't know were out there, sure, that, you know, et cetera. It's very common, right? Absolutely. It, it is actually very common. And, and what's scary to them is all the money that they put into equipment licensing and, and different products didn't account for, let's say, I would say on average 20 to 30% of the systems that are actually in their environment. Right. Well, and they say you're doing a pretty good job if on your asset inventory, asset management, you've got a handle on above 80%. So yep. to say 20 to 30% is didn't know those were there. That, that makes perfect sense. I want to take a step back for a second. You, you talked about the, the, 
the Palo Altos, the checkpoints, all of these, the, the buy the subscription, buy the hardware. I think that one of the things that we don't want to glaze over or miss is that we were often coming into an environment where a process and procedure had been built around the product and what Absolutely. it could do instead of incorporating this product or service into a pre-existing process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when, when we work with CISOs and, and, and CTOs and CEOs and we tell them, you know, hey, listen, why don't you find a product that actually works in your environment rather than finding a product or f- figuring out how to work your environment around right. a product, <laughs> right? right? Um, they they kind of scratch their head. They say, well, well, how do we do that? I said, well, you know what? If you've got the the documentation and methodology in place to say this is what we need to make our company grow, you'd be surprised how many companies will actually come and say, oh, we can do that by doing doing X or doing Y or doing Z, right? But you didn't know that when when you came to the table to them, they just said, well, we're going to sell you the next generation firewall. Well, it's like rethinking that right now. So 42%, I think it was the statistic from one poll of are not going to return to the to the office. They're going to now be permanently work from home. So I think about the, the, we'll just call them the big box players. So we spent a lot of time and energy like, hey, I'm, I'm secure in my office. My yep. temporary workers, when they work from home or on the road, they VPN or they got their little teleworker firewall and they connect. It's like, well, now what do you do? Um, how are we going to take what's in that building that's bound by four walls and change the model in such a way that we can still apply the methodology and that doesn't have to be done by what's becoming, I don't want to say legacy technology, but a legacy approach to securing the endpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, COVID was a big eye opener for a lot of people because one, people weren't, first of all, they weren't really set up to work remote. Or, or they didn't sure. know how to work remote, right. right? So that was a learning curve for the for the employees, right? But but the infrastructure, the company wasn't really set up or give them access to do their jobs. So we heard day in day out, every single day of companies basically wiping out Best Buy of laptops and sure. and other large providers uh, out there. You know, were were you know, stuff was flying off the shelves. Right. But then when you sit with the, the CISO and the CEO and you, you say, well, how are you securing those devices? They say, listen, you know, right now we're just trying to the business is trying to stay afloat. We're trying to get our job done. And, you know, there, there's there's tools and methodologies out there that are, are, are actually pretty cost effective uh, that companies can go and implement in a matter of hours to sure. and sometimes days can can lock down that company asset being remote, no matter what state they're in, as if the person was right there in, uh, in the office space, um, you know, and, and, you know, grasping the, the maturity model of something like a CIS 20 quickly turns a bad situation into a, a, a I like to say a repeatable process because sure. if your teams are, know how to do this for one client, they can do it for every every new client that they set up. Well, it's funny that you say that. I was thinking about the, we, we talk, if we go back, let's just say three years, four years, there was this huge hype around because of AWS and the Azure space and, and Google Cloud that like, hey, there's this going to be this mass exodus of companies buying 
equipment and stacking it in a closet somewhere in their office and nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. You saw, you saw some, right? Maybe sure. 15 to 20% cause they saw the, the, the cost value. I mean, it's like today saying, Hey, we can put you on a phone system. that's like hundred percent redundant. It's in the cloud and it's only going to cost you, you know, $20 a month per user. And you're like, wait, our current phone system costs me, you know, $40 a month. We have two lines and extensions in everybody's office. Now you want to m- multiply that exponentially. That's just not going to happen. Fast forward to COVID and you go through this process. It's like everybody is exiting the stuff that they have in the office. They're essentially abandoning almost with arguments that would have previously been, we're in here because it's secure. We're in here because I can touch it, feel it, see it. We're in here because it's cheaper. And now we have the opposite of that happening. And we have to go back to that repeatable process. Like you said, it's one process. I don't have to do it perfect if I only have to do it one time. But if I've got 30 clients that each have 10 plus employees, I had better come up with a repeatable process because my manual labor resources are finite. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree with you. Um, You know, so so COVID was a big eye opener. Like you said, you know, the majority of the workforce is not going to come back into an office. A lot of companies that we work with and we, we have we have hundreds of clients that are are moving to the cloud or fast track to the cloud. Mm-hmm. They were planning on it, but now they're yeah. like fully in the cloud. They're, I mean, they're closing down office spaces. Yep. Why, you know, why pay for brick and mortar right. when, oh my gosh, you know, after eight months, we can still get our jobs done. And hey, by the way, we're pretty efficient yeah. at this. So you know? so along those lines, I think it's interesting as we talk about the, the controls. So you, you talked about basically, you know, controls one and two that are pretty clear about your hardware and software. And I often find myself combining them into sort of, we're going to tackle these together and come up with how do we categorize the software, the hardware, because is, is your Azure space, is that software or is it hardware? Is that, you know, so you can get really weird, really fast. And of course you've got your third party vendors that might be their own asset, you know, management that you have to do. And so it's like, well, is, is my Microsoft a third party asset or is it the 360, you know, you could get really, so I don't care how you want to approach that. So as we go though, to the next control, um, I think some of that stuff we've been talking about becomes really a really big deal because our our uh, threat surface has just increased exponentially. So on, on the vulnerability uh, control, Talk to me about what you're seeing as far as this is a consumption of a lot of information now that wasn't sure. there before. We had a very narrow uh, area that we were focused on. What are you seeing, you know, trending as far as how to address this, like, you know, landslide of information? You know, I I, I, I would tell you, um, I would tell anybody, honestly, that, that I see two approaches. One is it with all due respect to Microsoft and everything that they've done as well as Apple. Um, there's a lot of, they, they have auto updates, right? You've got auto updates, you've got WSUS, you've got other products out there. Um, a lot of companies simply say, well, Hey, you know what? It comes with it. So vulnerability management is really about just letting those auto updates run. You, you know what, if you're, if you're a small company and, and that's what you've got, that's, that's what you've got. It's better than nothing. But the reality of it is, is, is that is not vulnerability management. Um, when we look at critical production systems, we look at development systems, uh, you know, what those vulnerabilities are, how we identify them, how quickly we can remediate uh, something when it pops up. 
you know, and, and the, the list goes on. I mean, we can sure. spend hours just talking about vulnerability management, but that's it's really the 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 second course, right? You, you've got the one group that in one hand is saying, well, I just want to do it as free and simple as possible. And I'm okay with that. You know, whether you say it's a risk-based approach or not, you know, I, I would disagree. I think most companies need more, you know, but... But the other line- You got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, and, and, and that's what a lot of companies do until they're hacked. Right. right. Where and it's like- Now, why, why didn't my auto update work? Or why didn't this process that I thought was acceptable work, right? And How whose fault Microsoft is it? Who's, whose fault is it, right? Like, I'm going to blame somebody for this. So sure. who, who's the person that I can blame and get away with it? Well, it's, it's usually the IT guy, honestly. It's me. Yeah, it's it, me. It's the guy blamed. who- Gets gets beat on pretty bad. Uh, guys like you, you and I used to be, but you know when you hit um, the postpone update because I don't want to close my Excel spreadsheet. Sure, or a reboot is needed, or what I see probably two thirds of the time is there was a prerequisite and there yeah. were other products that were blocking it, or sure. antivirus didn't allow it, or you know because the definition didn't match because it was. I mean, I've seen that stuff over and over again. Three months goes by, this patch hasn't been installed. Four months goes by because somebody missed that that error message in your McAfee sure. uh, antivirus. Like that sort of stuff is where you have to scratch your head and you say, okay, guys, listen, you know, I I I'm not the I'm not the type of person to sit there and say, you know, you're gonna need a specific product, but there are products out there that help with vulnerability management there's subscription based there's in-house services there's right. there's other services that are out there but um and and chris we we had talked about this the other day you know the the uh one of the recent verizon reports from a couple of years ago suggested and they built on it this last year was over 80 percent somebody corrected me and said that they think it was 87 percent of the way that malicious users and hackers and, and ransomware, et cetera, get into your environment is through missing patches. If you could effectively stop 80% of attacks that would happen in your environment by patching effectively, sure, right? That is worth every, every dollar that you can invest in that. And, and again, like we were talking about before, some people, some companies invested millions into all these products and services, and maybe their focus needs to step back, look at the basics and say, if, if 80% of, of the risk in our environment can be stopped through effective patching, maybe we need to put more money in those areas, right? Effective vulnerability patch management, as opposed to the latest and greatest IPS product. So along those lines, if we were to just kind of keep walking through the controls, you get into four, which is the, uh, you know, least privileged access or administrative privileges. So I think about what you described in the first three. And quite honestly, with the first three, I think you could do a whole, um, those could be, you know, the in-house, the SMB that just doesn't have a lot of resources. You know, they turn on sure. the automation patch management. They're, they're doing some of that. The what's this, those types of things. But then you get into uh, controlled use of administrative privileges. And I'm not saying that you would have to go to an MSP for this, but now you're starting to get into the complexities of, I don't have somebody for that, right? Like if I'm going to be responsible for 10 people uh, and they all need to install an app, you know, that I don't want to be responsible for saying, oh, hold on, let me come around and help you with that. that. That's where, so you're starting to see as you look through these controls, I start to see it like number four, especially 
that you're really not going to do this as an SMB unless you've got dedicated resources for it. Absolutely. I mean, Chris, when we go back 20 years, I can tell you, I mean, if I had a dollar for every IT admin that said, you know what, giving somebody uh, local admin privileges is our policy because we just, it's just easier because he's yeah, one yeah. guy. Yep. He or she is one person to handle all the IT needs of my email doesn't work. This I remember you know, those conversations coming through. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just easier yeah. for them. The reality of it is, is a lot of times, you know, when these guys and gals set up AD, uh, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud, they, they don't really completely understand what they're doing. They're giving people a lot more access than they need. And so when a link through a phishing attack is clicked, you know, before they know it, that, that, that link is now, you know, circumvented all security controls. It's hitting, you know, printers and, and file shares and, and different things like that, that they all needed access to, to do their jobs, or that's what they thought. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a matter of minutes, the entire environment's locked out. Well, I think about like, uh, I was talking about this on a town hall I had recently, we were talking about the privileged access, we were talking about policies and all that, and how complicated it is. And I go, you ever go into a new environment and look at the GPOs and ask questions like, why are all these GPOs empty? Like you've got all the great policies, but no, none of your user groups are in, are taking advantage of these GPOs. We're like, well, yeah, everybody's running into that. And I said, no, not everybody. Primarily you see people running into that when the person who set it up isn't an MSP. And, and I'm saying that loosely, there are MSPs that maybe aren't qualified to do it, but it, you know, are, I'm sorry, that are qualified to do it. I think MSPs for the most part, this is their bread and butter. They're going to do it right or they're not going to yeah, be in yeah. business. Um, but you go in there and you're like, if you set it up the proper way, there are a lot of things that out of the box that say the server does that you don't want it doing. Uh, I think that's where we start to see that, especially in the SMB space, even in the mid-market really, we should not be trying to do a lot of this stuff on our own. That's part of the reason why we start out on a path of not ever getting secure or compliant because, you know, our area of expertise is not how to set up a windows server. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it is. And that's why we got hired, but usually somewhere along the way you stop being that expert anymore. Right? Like I, sure. I was great with windows seven and windows XP, man, this windows 10 start menu is driving me nuts. Well, yeah. In general, I think it's human nature to to kind of scrap a little with with new technologies and new products that come out, and everybody seems to you know struggle with them at first. But over time, you know, again, human nature. I think it's human nature just to try to make things as easily easy and functional as possible. Um, I've done a lot of work over the past you know, five six years with municipalities, sure, uh, especially around the ransomware yeah. uh, issues. And, and I find that, you know, a lot of the groups have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of users, right? Users throughout the municipality, administrative assistants, uh, clerks, clergymen, you know, uh, police, et cetera, uh, all that are out, that are out there. Uh, and many of them are already remote, like the law enforcement uh, teams to begin with. And they have one IT guy, mm -hmm. right? And the IT guy doesn't have time and he could say till, till he's blue in the face that he wants the right tools to do it. But the municipalities don't necessarily have the money. They, they're, many of them are still under the, the conception or misconception, if you want to call it that, that a firewall is going to secure them when, if they actually had control of their endpoints, uh, they would be as secure, if not more secure 
than that than the security of that firewall for that one main office sure provides them well i think about when you go into municipalities i think about especially rural municipalities that their size of an organization might be you know three computers and that's fire police and city right like they just don't have a lot of infrastructure so so in some cases uh they don't even know what they don't know because there is no it uh, it's just plug it in, turn it on, and hopefully you can get to the sites that you need to. I think this this transit we've been kind of already talking about it. This is Control Five. You know how do you how do you secure those endpoints? And so um, just to touch on it real quick, if you were to give sort of one thing, what would you tell you know an end user or an MSP that you should be doing when we think about securing the endpoint that you would start with? Um, you know, least uh, the the le least restrictive access to get their job done is is really should be a focus. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but at, at the end of the day, if you have a plan in place, whether it's a in and a lot of people don't know this because we have and we haven't mentioned it here, but the the Center for Information Security, the CIS, um, also builds guidelines on how to securely build those systems. Sure. Right. Um, you know, and, and if someone comes out of the gate, takes a, takes a laptop out of a box, secures a laptop, and then gives someone the access that they need to get their job done, there may be, in fact, over 20 controls that they turned off that the user didn't need, which could result in an issue of vulnerability or an attack surface later on. Um, so I am always of the, the concept that if, if we build the correct policy and procedure for an administrator to use to build the system from, from the ground up uh, and then give the user only what they need, uh, it's a little bit more work up front, but it's a lot less work later on. So um, as, we, as we are getting ready to wrap up here, I want to throw one more out there. I don't think we need to talk about control six right now. I think that's kind of a, a big one and, and it really would be your MSPs are kind of going down that path, the main maintenance, the monitoring, all the logs, you know, sure. which, which is, you know, you, you being in forensics, one of my things and experiences, like if the only thing you do is turn on the logs, that's a great starting point. In fact, I think CIS says that if the only thing you do on control six is turn on the logs, you've, you've graduated into group one. Two, two. <laughs> yeah, right. You're graduating to a two. So <clears throat> there's roughly 14. There are 14 other controls. Are there any of those other 14 that in your experience as you're going through? Because one thing I don't want to tell an MSP is don't do that control until you've done six. If it's low hanging fruit and you can get it done, yeah. knock it out. I just find that you hit so many of those other 14 and you end up stuck because it references one of the first five or six. Is there one that you go, I think you need to do that. MSP should consider doing that because CIS top 20 wasn't written specific to MSPs. It wasn't written to any one specific group. So just yep. thinking about that, is there one that comes to mind that you're like, I would do this? You know, it's funny you mention that because I'm certified pen tester. I've been pen testing for years, uh, you know, and I would never tell anyone not to do a pen test. And I know a lot of companies emphasize doing pen tests. Like we have to do pen tests for compliance, but you know, one of the areas, if I was to pick any one control out that's the easiest, most effective, cost uh, effective control out there, uh, it would be number 17, to be honest with you. 
Um, yeah, it's further along the line. It's an organizational control. It's right there towards the end. But implementing a security awareness and effective training program. I'm not talking about just, you know, just do, doing the automated thing watch that people can video. sleep through. Watch this video, right? I'm, yeah. I'm actually talking about, you know, reoccurring testing of people, sending them phishing awareness, seeing how they do. Don't beat up on the people for making mistakes. We all make mistakes. And let's face it, if you're not involved in this and you really haven't seen them come through, you're going to fail. Your people are going to fail the first couple of times, but it's in a controlled environment that they're making the mistakes. If there was one control out there, I would tell you do number 17. It's That's probably the awesome. least the least cost to all of the controls. You can go to an MSP, you can get an MSP to do it. You can go get, you know, there's there's applications, there's online applications that will do phishing attacks for you on, on a one-time basis, on a reoccurring basis. You can go to know before for training. Etc. The, the key is to make it something that's repeatable, trackable, and meaningful. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and don't stop. Like, don't just because you've gotten to a certain point doesn't mean that you're good enough at this training. Absolutely. Like, at a minimal, the staff should get a, a new phishing campaign once a month. Nice. Um, those who do not are, are, are not successful in those campaigns should get a second and third one go through the training again, kind of identify, learn how to identify. In fact, uh, I've, I've worked with municipalities that, you know, as, as a virtual CISO, uh, they have me come in and do manual training, like PowerPoint presentation, show what, what the phishing attack was, show where people, not pointing out any particular person, but where yeah. they, they missed. Um, and these attacks are really good nowadays. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the ones coming from the, from the bad guys. Yeah. Right? Maybe a couple spelling errors here and there, but you know, it sure beats the heck out of a twenty to fifty to two hundred thousand dollar wire transfer because your CEO asked for it to the administrative assistant and they fall for it all the time, Chris. Well, and a sophisticated a sophisticated phishing uh, attack is going to mimic pretty closely the real deal. The sad part is most of the phishing attacks are the spelling errors, are the, you can obviously tell that this is not the real deal. And yet people still click on those too, because if they didn't, that's not the one you'd be getting in your mailbox. That's right. That's so, right. hey, I couldn't ask for a better close for this episode. Jason, where can people find you? Uh, Accessitgroup.com uh, uh, or look me up on LinkedIn. It's uh, Jason LaDuke. Uh, L-E-D-U-C. I'll be more than happy to answer any questions or help you guys out. Chris and I go way back. So, uh, so I owe him a couple favors, I'm sure. Hey, well, this has been an episode of MSP 1337. Thanks for joining us.